Welcome to the Rainbow Bull with Tim Volk from T. Volk and Company Consulting. In this podcast, Tim, a proud member of the LGBTQ community, discusses a range of topics around the five capitals of a flourishing family, human, intellectual, social, spiritual, and financial capital. Tim will use this framework as he and his guest experts delve into the secrets of the wealthy and how we might learn from them. So let's get started on this exciting adventure together. Tim Volk has thoughts to share in his podcast, thoughts on how to learn from the ultra wealthy. But before we get to that, we should learn about Tim from Tim. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this inaugural episode. I'm Patrice Sikora, and Tim, I always like to start at the beginning. So what led you to financial planning and wealth management in the first place? It's a great question. I think uh, one of my friends from my high school reunion, not that long ago, said to (laughs) me, (laughs) (laughs) it's all relative, it's all relative, Patrice. She said, Tim, do you still read the Wall Street Journal? And I said, yeah, I do every day. She goes, because you were the first person I ever met that read it. And you, we were in junior high school. I was like, I we I was. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was reading the Wall Street Journal like at 12 or 13 years old. And because I grew up in this family enterprise, this family business and financial services, insurance, real estate, mortgage banking, that I think my expectation was that I'd always be in financial services, that I'd always be managing money or helping people with money and and risk. So I, I think it, from a very young age, uh, and I was the oldest of the of all the kids in our family of that generation, I think I was just expected to go into the family business. So I think I was groomed from that from the beginning, probably when I was five or six. And did you go into the family business? I did. I worked there when I was 13, 14, 15. <laughs> I worked oh. there in the summers and then post-college. Uh, I was uh, graduated with a degree in finance from Oregon State University. I had spent a year abroad in Sydney studying in Australia, which is very cool. And then I came back and I thought all people in finance, because that's what they thought overseas, should live in New York and work in New York. So I went to New York to think I'd get a job in New York. No, no appointments. And I just showed up thinking I could get a job. <laughs> knocking on doors. And I remember one financial planning for uh, wealth management group invited me in and they're like, who are you? Nobody does this. Where did you go to school in Oregon state? And they're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes the difference, right? <laughs> I don't know. It was just, it was pretty naive on my part, but I went and I was waiting question. tables. Yeah. Did you get a job? Did you get a job? Well, yeah, I, I no, and not in New York. <laughs> right. No, I think that they told me I had to go get some experience. And then I went back to Denver because my mom and dad split. And I grew up in Denver between Denver and Cheyenne. And I was waiting tables. And I remember my dad saying, I'm going to come to Denver to have lunch with you. And I thought, wasn't that nice? He's going to drive down to have lunch with me. And I didn't know at the time that that should be a sign. Mm. You know, the families have clue phones that ring in (laughs) in the family. And I think I was ignoring that that was like a sign that if dad is going to drive 100 miles for lunch out of his busy day, you should be paying attention. <laughs> and he's like, you know, your waiting tables, which I think is a commendable piece. And I meant I, you did it all through college, but you need to get a real job. You have a degree. We didn't spend all this time and money for you to wait tables and not try to have a career in finance. So he says, you're going to come work for us. So I started there and I started selling insurance out of the gate. Did you like it? 
Yeah, I, I think I like the calling people and talking to them. We had a, you know, the family has a mortgage banking operation. And so I would call the clients that were borrowing money to see if they wanted to put life insurance in place to protect themselves on the loan if something were to happen to either one of them. And it was a pretty successful piece. I think I was surprised I moved back to Wyoming and, and was working in the family. I think that was the big adjustment. How long? And then, go ahead. I was going to say, how long did you stay? I was there 12 years. I had a really fortunate opportunity to groom the family. My dad and uncle were the, our identical twins, and they were running the business at the time. My great-grandfather started it. Their father had taken over and run it, and then when he passed, they took it over. But my grandmother was still alive, the matriarch, so that was the fun. She, so I worked there. I started an insurance I worked into then uh, real estate and then into mortgage banking. We had uh, other things that we did, property development, property management. And uh, I wound up getting a piece of working in so, so many different places, as you only would in a family business. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, my grandmother was around and she was giving us, you know, I would go to school. In those days, they sent me to insurance schools or training schools all the time. And so she kept saying, Timothy, John, I just don't understand. Are you just not that bright? I mean, <laughs> you keep going to school, for God's sake. Why? <laughs> Are you not learning? Get the damn degree and come on, let's wrap it up. Oh, so funny. This is classic, classic <laughs> granny. What was her name? Betty Wallach Volk. Betty Ann Wallach Volk. And she it was her father that founded the family business, which is called Wallach and Volk. So it was really fun because she could put my dad and uncle in their place pretty quickly. And she smoked Benson and Hedges 100s. And oh she gosh, would light that... up before she walked in the office. We had a non, they'd put a non-smoking policy in the office, and, which was pretty radical in the, in, the, in the mid-80s. She would light up before she walked in and she'd puff throughout the office walking into his office <laughs> and he'd say mom and all the smokers you know would just inhale <laughs> they'd all look up you know betty ann over here over here yeah. and then she'd walk into my dad's office and he'd say mom you know we have a non-smoking policy she said i don't remember approving that i had nothing <laughs> to say with that and he'd say well you know we implemented it for the office and she said well if i were you i'd find an ashtray for me because otherwise i'll just put it down on this new carpet and i don't think you're gonna want that <laughs> oh my, i like that woman and my dad would just crack up i mean because he couldn't say anything it's his mom and she said don't forget that if it wasn't for me you wouldn't be sitting in this fancy office so let's just remember that <laughs> wow wow all right so <laughs> so when you finally decided to leave the 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 womb of the of the family mm. of the office there Where'd yep. you go? What'd you do? So the executive I reported to said, you know, you're the boss's son, no matter what you do, you're, you're nobody's going to listen to you because you don't have any experience beyond the family business. So you need to get experience outside the business. And I said, okay, you're right. And then I'm, I quit. <laughs> so kind of crazy, actually, looking back. And I had been part of the young mortgage bankers group at the Mortgage Bankers Association. They were grooming us and I had been in DC and I had met a young lady by the name of Susanna Smogowski, who's a very good friend. And she said, uh, we were in a closed door session with the head of Fannie Mae at the time. I think it was Frank Rains. And I didn't know what closed door session. I'd never been in it. But when they asked, you know, that he was going to open for questions and there were no phones or recording things in the room, we could ask anything we wanted. So I started asking questions. Nobody else did. And they were all shocked because I got 
Susanna looked at me and goes, I don't know who you are, but I got to get to know you. And she was working for PNC Bank. And the next thing I know, I was interviewing at PNC Bank and I ran the Rocky Mountain region. And I did that for three years. I had offices in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, New Mexico. And then the executive that I reported to, Jack Lloyd, was a mentor, uh, left and went to Harris Bank here in Chicago, which is BMO Harris Bank. He was head of consumer lending. And so he asked me if I would come work and join them and help create a way to lend to our high net worth clients. So it was interesting that I had stayed in mortgage banking, but I was working more and more towards private banking. And I was actually working inside the private bank of Harris Bank, trying to lend to our high net worth, ultra high net worth clients. And that began the career that got closer and closer to wealth management until one day they asked me if, and we were doing really well. I mean, the the team we created was very successful. We had won all kinds of awards and um, they asked me if I would be willing to change direction and help grow the family office group and work in the wealth management group. And that was a big change. So, you know, before I left Cheyenne, I had gotten my MBA or I have a master's in business. Not, I don't think it's an MBA. I think it's a master's in business science. Of, but anyway, it's a degree. We'll have to edit that. Advanced it's a degree. degree. I have a master's in business. I don't even remember. It was so long ago. <laughs> then I went back to school with Harris with a lot of my colleagues to get a CFP to become a certified financial planner. That was a really valuable tool because it gives you an overview of everything in that business. Grandma must mean, have loved it. <laughs> she, she had comments. Yeah. Oh. The CFP is not easy to get. No. No, it is not. In, in those days, it was a two-day testing process, sort of like a CPA exam. And uh, it's very intense. We studied for a couple of years. I studied for a year and a half, I think, for it. And I think the first time I took the test, I didn't pass. They deliberately, I think it's only a 50% pass rate. Yeah. And then the other people that were in the same boat, they put more uh, had us working with some of the managing directors of my CFO that were also CPAs, and they really did help us. It was really helpful for them. Some of them were uh, mentors for the, the financial planning board, so it was good. And I really enjoyed the time, enjoyed the work. It's a very rewarding thing to do. Very so what, rewarding. So what exactly are you doing now with this great, strong background? Well, I think, you know, one of the unique, and I do think my career path has been somewhat unique because I, when you come from a family enterprise and then you go to work in corporate America into two large financial institutions that are publicly traded, you become a much uh, more on your game. It's different. I think that the opportunities that were presented were for me to really grow personally and also career-wise, professionally. The people that I met along the way in doing this transition into wealth management were also some of the people that I've stayed in contact with and are close with today that have mentored me in the more enlightened side of wealth management because we can execute the money 99% accuracy and transitions transfer wealth as people transition uh, succession planning. The hard part is the soft issues. So it's the issues around how families communicate. It's how they plan. It's how they, how did they teach each other, communicate with each other, teach the rising generations? How do they avoid entitlement? How do they do all these other elements that are there? 
And I didn't necessarily at first recognize that I had that gift, having come from a family business, working inside the family, knowing the dynamics that are always there. You know, in corporate America, when you went home, it was you went to Thanksgiving dinner. The, 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 you're, unless you're close friends with the people you worked with, you didn't have them at your Thanksgiving event. But with the family, they're all there. And so if things were not going well in the business, you, you, they were discussed during the holiday dinner or referenced before after dinner. So I think when you have that insight, it, it's very helpful for me to be able to talk with families. And some of the people I worked with, the executives, particularly Joe Calabrese, he was recognized that my ability to talk with these people and relate to them. And so I think what I learned is that I was speaking first person sometimes knowing what it is to be inside the family, understanding the family dynamic. It's not always good. It's not, a, it's not uh, but you simple have that sometimes. Understanding. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. difficult. And then what it takes to be a good inheritor, what it takes to be responsible, right. a steward of the family. And, and, and how do I help my siblings or my nieces or nephews or children? How do you help them to learn that? It's not something that's natural. It's not a natural gift. Now you also, came out with the family when you were still with the family business, right? Oh, yeah. Tell yeah, me. It's, you got well, a story you know, there? It's so different than today. You can appreciate that today, you know, I openly tell people I'm openly gay. You know, I support the LGBTQ community. I want to help make sure that all voices are heard at the table. But when we were younger, mm-hmm. you know, when I lived in Wyoming, Although I would say that there's a huge gay community in Cheyenne, and it was just very sort of underground, like so much of the gay world was. And then, I mean, people knew other people that were gay, but it it wasn't really discussed. And so I was trying very hard to keep it on the down low, so to speak, because of the idea I was scared to death, like most people are, particularly in my age group, that the rejection would be very harsh. So at the time I'd met my husband 30, 30 over 32 years ago in Cheyenne, he was, uh, we, there was a coffee in the, in Cheyenne that a friend of ours, Robert Larson, who's an older gentleman who would host every Sunday morning at his house, coffee and the Keebler cookies. We had all these Keebler cookies he would have and anywhere from a dozen to 60 people would show up and he never knew. And he had a little tiny house. And in the summer, there was a big deck in the backyard, so everybody hang out. But John came in one summer dressed coming off of his, um, he was on a 24-hour clock uh, as a missileer, and he showed up as a captain in his flight uniform, flight suit, aviators, hat, ascot, boots. Oh, really? Flight jacket. <laughs> it was like Tom Cruise walked in. And he's Italian. And I just looked, I go, Hi, my name's Tim. (laughs) (laughs) And then he'll tell you that, 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 uh, that I ignored him. And I went back into the living room with Robert and I brought him his coffee and I'm sitting there and Robert says, well, who's the new guy? His name is John, right? I said, yeah. He says, he seems really nice. I said, oh, he seems really nice. He said, is he single? Because, you know, older people are always worried about is it single, like trying to marry you off. (laughs) And I said, well, I think he is. He said, then why in the hell are you sitting here talking to me? And I said, well, I just got a coffee. And he took my cup, dumped it into his, and he said, here, go get some more. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Who do, little do we know that that would become, you know, the basis of, of this connectivity that, that, uh, and, and so 
to fast forward in that, uh, I was babysitting not my, my younger sister and brother who are just wonderful. I just adore them. And I think my sister overheard a conversation with John. And so I was outed by my little sister to my parents and that. Ooh, that's a diss. <laughs> yeah. And I tell people the story that dad and my dad is just super cool. I, I, I don't know how he's able to manage all that he does, but he's just, uh, he's just a great guy. And so he asked me one day we were rehabbing a house, you know, we in the real estate business, we had a foreclosure. I was rehabbing it, which later on, I've done a lot of that. And he and I were driving out in this country alone. And he's like, so who's John? Because and he prefaced it by saying, I love you no matter what. You're my son, but I want to know who John is. And so I told him. And I think it was, you know, like I've written some papers on this, Patrice, mm -hmm. where you may have been dealing with this for many years. But when you decide to come out and you start to share that story, the people you're telling, it may be new for them and it takes time to process it. And so I think in fairness to everybody, you know, I don't know that what is said, I don't really remember. I know it was difficult and there probably was things that were said that weren't great on both sides. Fortunately, John and I had a, an older gentleman who was also a mentor at the time to us that said, don't worry about it. The family may be getting upset because they're trying to process it. They're trying to get their head around it. But if you two, who I think you were going to be is, is you show up to all the birthdays and all the holidays and you're there supporting, you send the cards and you just continue to be there. You will become the rock of the family. You will be seen as a, as a person, you know, that they can rely on right. both of us. And I think we've done that. I think my siblings are very supportive. I think that it's been very valuable for me to have my family very close. You know, my mom and dad are split. My mom has always been, I think she knew before my dad. And of course, when I told her, she's, she was, I think, acting like she was surprised, although she wasn't really surprised. And she had been around a lot of gay people in the theater. And so she was, I think in those days also, we were in the height of HIV and AIDS. So everybody was wow. worried about, you know, if you were gay and you're openly gay, would you die? I mean, right. it was a very common thing. So I think it was justified that my family or friends were worried. But at the same time, my parents were incredibly supportive. And my mom is I don't know, just fortunate. I think they're my biggest cheerleaders. And this experience, how do you bring that to the community that you serve now? You know, Patrice, one of the things that's really got me concerned is the number two killer of young people between 14 and 21, I believe, is uh, suicide. Mm -hmm. And the predominant number of youth, same age, that are homeless are gay. So we clearly, although we've made great progress with gay marriage, we're faced with at the moment probably an, an unprecedented amount of over, I think it's over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills are in front of 32 different states' legislations. And so I think even though the, in my generation we've seen so much progress, the fact that John and I are legally married um, in 2015, I think we still have this gap where people are not being accepted by their family, and it is a real I I just just a shame to have somebody lose their life because they think that being gay is not okay or transgendered or any of our brethren in the non-binary family. 
it just it's just not okay and so if i can you know shine a light on things and say it's going to get better it's going to be fine i like doing that i find great pleasure in helping others and so you know in in the world of finance in the world of the ultra high net worth or the high net worth market it's today you meet other people that are gay it's still not a a common thing and so one one of my good friends in the global think tank is like tim you know what you need to be you just need to be the gay guy just be the gay guy and, and everybody knows that we call you you're the gay guy so if we have gay things or gay issues we're going to call you and i just start cracking up i said i don't think it works quite like that but yeah yeah i mean it's it's wonderful that they recognize you as the point man but there are other people who could that was not well said was it no no that's <laughs> no, it was great, it was great. <laughs> well moving on uh, no it's just, being more you know, inclusive of, of the rest of the community <laughs> no that's it and and i think that you know the basis of this podcast series that we're launching the rainbow bowl was that you know it came out of the rainbow sheep which is a, a term of affection for the family instead of being the black sheep you the rainbow sheep but we want to relate it into finance the bull seemed like a better more powerful piece that you know the rainbow bull and the bull market but the idea of sharing the secrets and interesting things we've learned working with really wealthy families is something that I think could benefit uh, everyone who has an interest, you know, who's trying to save money and save money for their retirement or, or build an estate or build a, if you're trying to build a fortune, I suppose. But yeah. you know, in our minds, I think all of us think that we could do that. You've shared a lot in this podcast, but name one thing that most people don't know about you. Tell me. Wow. Name something that most people don't know about me. Well, I, I do enjoy meditating. I think because people see me as very high energy and at times hyper that the thought that I would be quiet and sitting in silence for 15 to 20 minutes every day is they just look at me like you, you meditate alone. You imagine what you'd be like if you didn't. I think another thing that most people don't know is that I taught aerobics for a long time. If you lived in Wyoming and Cheyenne, I taught aerobics for many years while I worked for my family. And I think I taught for 10 or 12 years and I competed. So it was kind of fun. How do you I've always had a thing for fitness. How do you compete in aerobics? Well, it's I mean, all it's about jumping up and down and jumping and form and, you know, perfect pitch, whatever. Yeah. It's all, you know, those days. It was a crave. It was a, it was a <laughs> what do you call it? A, a craze. A craze. It was a craze. And I had rhythm. And I think people would, you know, as a white boy from Wyoming, it was kind of like, wow, you have rhythm. Like, <laughs> so I mean, if you look back, you think, okay, the guy's up in front of a class wearing, you know, spandex, spandex mm. and he's got rhythm. He gay. So, oh, I didn't know that you had to tick off those boxes, but I well, no, but I mean, that's what I think couple of my friends pointed to the obvious <laughs> all right i'm gonna ask you two more questions yeah please first of all is what is your idea of success as you get older and my dad used to say it and i think my grandfather used to say it having a close group of friends that you can rely on is mm -hmm. 
is really the definition of success in the truest sense. And I'm fortunate that I have friends that I've had for a very long time, 30, 40 years, and we're very close. And some of my newer friends that I've met, I feel like they're part of the inner circle, you know, the, the, the Fokker inner circle. So, um, and if you have your, if you have great health and you have mobility, it would be the next thing I would tell you. And then from a finance standpoint, if you can have recurring income, it's the most valuable. (laughs) Very recurring income, very practical. So that, that I guess it would get one, two, three. How's that? That's great. And then what is your proudest achievement? My husband. I mean, I think that the fact that that uh, we met and we stayed together and uh, through thick and thin, the good times, the bad times, I think it's really become one of the, it, it, he is my rock and it is a wonderful, wonderful partnership. And then I think career-wise, you know, I was fortunate in all the career stuff I did that I, I was Whenever I decided to do something, I did it at a point where we'd win awards or be acknowledged for it. So it was great. We did that. And when I worked for corporate America, we did it in the housing. When I did the real estate development stuff, we won awards on it. I think one of the most proud moments was creating an office in New York, in the New York area for the multifamily office I used to work for that uh, Harris, my CFO. And then I've been part of this global think tank for years. And with any organization, you kind of have to go through a regenerative period. And I think I took the helm at that point. And with a with a wonderful board of directors and some powerful mentors, we were able to turn the organization around and make sure it's thriving today. The next time around, we're going to talk about who you serve, what you do. So this podcast is all about you. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure gets out there? <laughs> I don't know. I, I love fitness. I'm on a quest right now to to become the most fit I've ever been. So I have a group of people I work out with religiously right now, and they've given me my meal plan and all uh, the stuff. So I think my family thinks I might be a little nuts. Uh, my mom sat and watched me eat my bowl of oatmeal or bowl of turkey meat or whatever. She looks at me and shakes her head. Sounds like bodybuilding. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Blueberry kind of oatmeal, yes. Yeah. And I I love music. I love uh, travel. John and I like to travel by ship if we can, because you see lots of ports and we don't have to unpack. Nice. Uh, and I think the bucket list would be I'd love to travel on the Orient Express at some point. It's a great way to see parts of the world and multiple parts of multiple places in a, in one trip. So I like to do that. So I'm I'm pretty excited. I have lots of fun stories that I hope we get to share. I have a lot of friends that I hope we bring on the show and so we can learn from them. And I want everybody to know they can send us questions or topics they want to learn about and we can find the right people to bring on the show and, and interview them, talk to them about it. And that brings me to my final question here. How can people reach you? You can call me. On my mobile, 312-636-5855, although it might be best to email me at tim.volk at tvolkco.com. Again, that's tim.volk, V-O-L-K, at tvolkco.com. Fantastic. 
And listeners, of course, follow the podcast. You don't want to miss an episode that's coming up. And be sure to share with friends and colleagues. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Bull Podcast. Visit our website at www.tvolco.com or give us a call at 312-636-5855. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of T. Volk and Company Consulting. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.